broken ice maker. Um, I I showed him my sweatshirt, obviously, that I'm wearing. He said you could sell those, and I wish I was recording because that was a beautiful segue into I am selling these for everybody watching the podcast. I'll put the link for it. But Mr. Ben Westoff here was on for um, his other book, quickly becoming one of my favorite authors, Fentanyl Inc., which terrified me, and Original Gangsters, which, ironically, the book about the original gangsters scared me less than the than than, than fentanyl ink and fentanyl ink just scared the shit out of me because i did try acid once that i got online but original gangsters anyone watching the podcast has probably heard me talking their ears off for the last couple weeks about my favorite new factoid and it's that uh george hw bush lived in compton True story, yep. Uh, that's insane. Not a little known fact. That's insane. That's, I mean, but that's, I mean, that's what stuck out to me. I was like, holy shit. The other thing, so did you actually sit down with Dr. Dre? Yeah, I did. I, I interviewed all the surviving members of NWA, and, um, you know, Dre is uh, very quiet. He's not, he's, he's like, a, you know, like a wallflower, really, and even he's remarked that he chose an odd line of work to yeah. go into, but, uh, you know, Ice Cube, like, super nice, like, easy, personal guy. I mean, all these guys are the sort of, you know, I, I think a lot of people might think from their public personas or from their music with NWA, yeah. at least, that they would be rough and abrasive, but, you know, these guys have been doing interviews for more than 30 years so they're well used to it yeah yeah that that definitely surprised yeah uh, yeah that dr dre is apparently uh socially anxious like an introvert yeah um, yeah that that's what i tell people i this is episode 357 i've never had an episode that i don't get a little anxious beforehand and it's kind of the not to compare myself to dr dre i realize what i'm saying like wait no that's not the same but yeah he's like you said in your book, um, which is available in Audible, I'll put it in the description, sticking in the top comment. It's a badass read. I've sent it to a lot of people. But the thing that stuck out to me is that Ice Cube's like a, is it Ice Cube? Yeah, it's like a total romantic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you take the roots of NWA. First yeah. of all, they were all Prince fans. They mm-hmm. were like huge Prince fans. Um, Ice Cube's first rap name was Purple Ice. And um, the, one of the other group members, largely forgotten Arabian Prince, you know, he took his name from Prince. Uh, DJ Yella used to um, do like a Purple Rain falsetto impression. And Dr. Dre used to, you know, wear purple. And with his group, uh, World Class Wrecking Crew, they all wore like lace and makeup, <laughs> yeah, eyeliner, yeah. Makeup, blush. You know, they they were a song and dance group. It was the era. It was the 80s, yeah. you know. I mean, the heavy metal, the, yeah. the hair metal bands on the Sunset Strip, you know, were doing their version of it. And the sort of R&B hip-hop crowd was all emulating Prince in a big way. Yeah. It was also what really kind of struck me. I mean, I was born in 1990. So, I mean, my memory only goes back so far, obviously. What I never knew was just how much... Um, really that that nwa man they really they they it seems to happen and i feel like it's happening right now in the 2020s with with big tech but really like the, the they tested the first amendment and so i didn't know like surprisingly man they they kind of got shut down a lot and kind of 
bullshit ways. Like, just yeah. because you don't like the records, but they were right. You said sheriffs were, like, banning them from towns. They were confiscating them from record stores. Yeah, most famously, the FBI sent them this very strongly worded letter yeah. about fuck the police. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, obviously the music is protected by the First Amendment yeah. and the FBI has no jurisdiction yeah. in the realm of like arts and entertainment. Yeah. And so it wasn't like, you know, they didn't say anything specific like yeah. you're you, we're going to do this or this is going to happen. They're, they're just like, we strongly recommend you cease making music like this and um it was uh it was ended up being like great publicity for yeah. the band you know it scared it scared the life out of them at first and and why wouldn't it yeah. but ultimately they a lot of them the group members think it was the best thing that could happen to them yeah they yeah they eventually they like made a statement or wrote a letter they're like hey shout out to the fbi thanks for giving us a million record sales <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, like a lot of um, groups want this, you know, to project this image of being badasses. But, you know, when you've actually got the top law enforcement agency in the country against you, that the proof is kind of in the pudding. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Right. You have uh, was it was it Tipper Gore or uh, Nancy Reagan? Right. Well, Tipper Gore, definitely. Yeah. yeah, The the warning labels. Yeah. Albums. yeah. Yeah. And it is. It is badass because, like, like I'm a total bitch, but, like, they clearly didn't just talk the talk. Like, they walked the walk. I mean, just about, like, showing up with, like, baseball bats to the record office and being like, where's my money? Well, yeah, there, there's a lot of different, you know, <laughs> facets of it. So, yeah. you know, E.D.E. is sort of the, the, the guy who the image of N.W.A. was based upon. And he grew up in Compton. He was a crack dealer. He, um, you know, was was part of the Crips gang, and he, um, his his friend's little brother was MC Ren. And MC Ren grew up nearby in Compton. He was also a Crip, so they kind of had these these gang backgrounds. But Dr. Dre and Ice Cube were really, really anti-gang. Mm-hmm. And in fact, with their first groups, they each made like anti-gang banging yeah. songs that were that sounded like they were inspired by Nancy Reagan, kind of. They yeah. were basically like, you know, it's a really bad idea to yeah. try to gang a loser in life. It sounds and, like a, um, sounds like an SNL skit. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it really does. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, Dre's thing was like he didn't think anyone made money in gangs. You know, that's what he always said. And and this this was before you know the early '80s, even before crack came in. It wasn't sort of like these drug trafficking groups that we think of. And and you know, they were more like guys who stuck together for protection mm-hmm. and spent a lot of time sort of loitering, you know, on the block and. Um, and then when it came to Ice Cube, he had an older brother who convinced him that gangs were a bad idea. But, you know, they, Dr. Dre would have tons and tons of sort of um, flip-flops in his career. One of them was about gangs, you know, because by the time they got to NWA, and especially on The Chronic, he was really talking about, you know, being a G and all that. Um, and then, of course, it's marijuana, smoking weed. In, in NWA, Dre has a famous line that, he says, I don't smoke weed or cess because it's known to give a brother brain damage. And, you know, that was not very long at all before he met Snoop Dogg and came, who introduced him to smoking weed and, uh, and he put out the chronic. Yeah. 
you know, even Easy E, you think about as someone who drank malt liquor and sort of was inebriated, but but none of the guys drank or smoked anything at all in NWA. And it was only um, when Easy E would perform the song Eight Ball, you know, which is about the brand of malt liquor. Yeah, you get apple juice. Yeah, you put apple juice in the bottle, so it's crazy. It's 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 like an again, yeah. It's almost like a it's like a half funny SNL skit slash almost like hacky skit. But really, it's I mean, it's the original. It is the original gangsters, and yeah, the you know not don't be in a gang, don't get into violence. You're not going to go anywhere. Don't smoke pot. It's going to slow down your productivity. It's like it seems like a like a public service announcement. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, well, and then an ironic, another ironic thing is that Easy actually did do a public service announcement. Yeah. He was caught in some sort of theft charge, and so he agreed to do a fire safety PSA. And you can see it on YouTube. He's basically like, you know, your 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 belongings are valuable, but nothing's more valuable than your kids. So make sure to get them out of the house. And <laughs> yeah, and then. Yeah, it's it's anti gang banging, anti smoking weed. Don't drink to excess, and then it's also they're illuminating the importance of the First Amendment, right? I mean, it's kind of like it's like if you ever watch an interview with like Marilyn Manson on like Bill O'Reilly, and it's like having grown up in like a like the private Catholic school. I mean, it was like Marilyn Manson's the devil, but you finally watch an interview with him. I mean, he's got like upside down crucifixes and he's covered in makeup and all black, but he's sitting there talking to Bill O'Reilly and he's like, well, if you read the Bill of Rights, you can actually see what the forefathers, and you're just like, wait, what? But you realize yeah. that he's just, I mean, that's, he's just that's, yeah. what I, that's what I found. Celebrities generally like don't get there by accident. You know, yeah. you don't get to be a celebrity by being antisocial. Yeah. It's, it's like all of these guys and, you know, all the women, all the men who are celebrities are like, good at making people feel special you know that's how they you win managers that's how you win uh press that's how you win fans so i'm not surprised to hear about that at all yeah yeah they're not stupid and furthermore it's you start to realize you're like well well what is the first amendment it's like i mean i've parroted that quote all the time i forget who said it and i'm sure i'm butchering it but it's like the first amendment's not there to protect things you agree with it's there to protect things that boil your blood right and it's I think they illustrated that, right? It's you know, if they're singing fuck the police, but they're not saying, Hey, go to precinct two oh one on the corner of fifth and whatever in LA and go take out officer roads, it's like they're not saying that. It's they're just saying fuck the police. Like you're allowed to say that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. NWA is a is a funny case because, you know, there there was public enemy and mm-hmm. um NWA was really inspired by public enemy. You can hear especially in this the beats, the sounds on Straight Out of Compton, it's that same kind of bomb squad production style. But you know, they weren't so politically conscious in the same way, you know. Fuck the police is is definitely their most conscious song. And yeah. you know, it and and, and Ice Cube came to be you know with his solo albums he was really kind of you know civil rights and uh, black nationalism and he joined the nation of islam mm-hmm. and and all that kind of stuff but easy and dr dre were they wanted to make money you know they wanted to like get a charge out of people and um dr dre he he initially didn't really want to do the song fuck the police that ice cube wrote but what what i was told for the book um was that he and some people, including Easy, were 
shooting paintball guns out the window. They were like driving down the the uh, Ocean Freeway. I forget one of the LA freeways, and they were like shooting out the window paintball guns to people. So they got pulled over, and the police like threw them on the ground and uh, read them the riot act. And then after that. Dre was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's Fuck make that, that song. <laughs> yeah. There's kind of some weird parallels between like Eminem and 8 Mile, right? With the paintball gun. I don't even know if that's real or if that was just for the movie. Right? Oh, interesting. I so long. I can't even remember that yeah. scene. What happens in that scene? I think I was in like middle school, but he's going out. It's back when he's still rabbit, but they go out on a ride and they have a paintball gun and they're just, they're popping cars as they go by and they accidentally hit like a police car or something. I don't think they get pulled <laughs> over. I think they get away. But I was just like, what? the fuck are the odds that it's like nwa and eminem in their upbringing it's like that's a right yeah well i mean you know when i was when i was a kid when i was in high school i'm closer to those guys age but that was paintball was just the rage just everyone was obsessed with paintball we used to i went to school i it's been it's been 12 years i imagine any statutes limitations are up i went to school in a saint pius the 10th catholic high school in atlanta georgia 2005 to 9 but we would get those big slingshots that it takes like three people to shoot and we would shoot like clementines and apples at like neighboring houses but then i remember one day we kind of like rotated and we started shooting them onto i-85 which is a 12 lane highway and i never knew what happened but i yeah i now know like when kids get some kids got charged a couple years ago from throwing like rocks off a bridge and they're all charged as adults and they got life in prison and I kind of look back at that. I'm like, man, like, I had no idea. Like, what if we just, like, hit, like, a city bus? What if we just... <laughs> what? Yeah, I know. <laughs> kind of stupid. I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. I, I was um, at a concert in college. Um, it was this band called The Samples. Have you ever heard of them? Mm-hmm. They're kind of like a mellow, like, chill vibe band from Colorado. And... Um, and I was not feeling them. And so I was drunk and my friend uh, dared me to throw uh, like a full can of beer at the band. And so I did, I threw it, I threw it like, I don't know, all the way across the, the field and uh, it hit the bassist oh, shit. and it shut the concert down Oh fuck! and the, a spotlight came on and they were like, who did that? They were oh, like shit. searching the crowd for the, and so I was like, duh. And I like ducked out of there. Um, it was, I felt really, really oh. awful. Um, but then, but then, like years later, I actually interviewed the, the lead singer, and he said he uh, forgave me. So that was oh, good. Well, that's good. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and and neither you or I ever ever became famous artists. So I don't know. Maybe we should have gone further. But with with Dre, I was going to say there was one part of it, and I can't remember what part of it is, what part of it was. But it was something. It might have been like leading up to fuck the police, or it might have been years later where they decided, where he decided to kind of move away from the gangster image. The point is, is what he said. He was like, ultimately, I'm just trying to make money. I don't. Do you do you recall yeah, what that was? Yeah, you know that that's Doctor Dre. He, you know, he's never written a lyric yeah. really at all. He's always had ghostwriters. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, you know, he's like a genius of sound. Yeah. you know, he has like a perfect ear. Yeah, and he knows what sounds good. He knows how to make other artists great. You know, he's just completely on the sonic side, and he doesn't have you know strong political opinions. Mm-hmm. He wasn't trying to like. He was just going wherever the wind blew him. Yeah, and. Um, you know, yeah, and 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 first it was Easy E, and you know, first it was the World Craft Class Wrecking Crew, and trying to do this like Morris Day 
kind of thing. Do you, do you remember him from uh, Purple Rain? Uh-huh. They did a song like The Bird. Mm-hmm. And um, the group, Andre's group Yellow was in it too. They were doing this like bird dance. And then uh, then Easy came along, so he went that way. Then Snoop came along, so he went towards the chronic, you know, that, that image. Then Eminem came along, and all of a sudden his lyrics started sounding like Eminem. He's had Rick Ross do mm-hmm. ghostwriting for him, uh, Drake do ghostwriting for him, Jay-Z. And, of course, the DOC is probably his most long-term sort of companion ghostwriter. And mm-hmm. so you, you can, if you listen carefully, you can, you can often tell. But, um, you know, he, he just wants the perfect beat, really. Yeah. yeah, and it's, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's what he's awesome at. But I remember listening to that, and I was, I was listening, and, of course, I always end up, like, judging people when I listen to, like, I'm listening to a book right now about, like, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and I find myself, like, like you know, like, armchair quarterbacking what Kennedy should have done, and then I'm like, what the hell am I? Who am I to? But I remember listening to that, and I was like, "Oh man, Dre's not really a gangster." And then, and then I paused and I thought, "That's actually the most gangster thing." The fact that he was like, "I don't give a fuck. I'm just trying to make money." I was like, "That's actually the most gangster thing," because you're not beholden to this ideology that eventually, you know, the ship sails. He just, he was like, "I'm in it to just make paper," and I was like, "That's actually the most gangster thing." He doesn't care what he has to do. Yeah, I mean, what I always say is like you know being a a good gangster and being someone who describes the experience of a gangster is like two very different skill sets Mm -hmm. you know and so this idea that you know you have to have this real life experience i mean a lot a ton of the best gangster rappers are are criticized for not being like gangsters in real life like nas you know is always criticized for that and, and ice cube and you know, it's just, it's like, if you are really out there in the streets, um, you probably weren't in the studio all the yeah. time. Yeah. Making yourself an artist. Yeah. You're not, you're not getting in like a, like a soundproof chamber and like running over some beats. Like, no, you're like, you're selling rock. And I, I forget who, but one of them, I forget, maybe it was Ice Cube, I don't remember who, but it was, it was in your book and it was like it you know someone was like hey you grew up in a home where both your parents were together like that's not gangster and he's like dude i could have grown up in a country club in suburban new york or i could have grown up in south central he's like i'd be rapping the same way it would just be about different things but that yeah i was like it's the same kind of it's like i mean again this sounds like such like a cringy like like white guy psa but it's like be the best gangster you can be right whether it's a podcast or an album like yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like um, describing the experience. You know, I, I, I talked to uh, Ice, Cube's, Ice Cube's group, the Lynch Mob, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, those guys really were in the streets. Yeah. And, and one of the guys I spoke with is still serving prison time after all these decades from uh, his name is JD. Mm-hmm. Um, he grew up with Ice Cube. But but he he would like they would be on the plane and Ice Cube would be basically interviewing him, you know, almost like a journalist, like, tell me about this time. You know, they, he has a song called My Summer Vacation. Mm-hmm. It's actually set in St. Louis, where I live. And it's about how the, you know, the L.A. gangbangers were getting squeezed out. There were too many, you know, too much competition. So they came to St. Louis where they could thought they could basically take over. But, you know, they and they did have some some success like here in St. Louis, they're they're like the Crips and the Bloods mm-hmm. here, you know, and that's directly taken from from L.A. But 
the you know the St. Louis uh, factions have like fought back basically and sent the guys like running out of town. But so Ice Cube got every single one of these details from this guy JD and then made this amazing song. You know, JD had all the experience. It's just that he didn't have the the artistry. Yeah, and who was it? Was it Death Row? Who is the recording label that got like Bloods and Crips to come in and record together? Was it? Oh yeah, yeah. I have heard about that album. I've heard it actually. That's a really good album. Yeah, I don't think it was put out on Death Row, yeah. but yeah, it was, it was, that's a really good album. It was someone. It was some. You you talked about it in your book it, about it was. It, I don't know who the the label was, but it was one of these guys in your book brought them together. But they kind of made this statement where they're like, "We're doing more than like the LAPD could ever do. We have them working together without weapons, putting out content, and producing taxable profit." <laughs> like we did more than yeah. the government could ever do. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. The early '90s was such an interesting time in LA. It was the the height of the, you know. That's why I, I said my book during this era. Yeah. You know, it's it's not just about the music. It's about Everything. the crack era. It's about Rodney King. It's yeah. about uh, you know the, the the height of the Crips versus Bloods war. And there there was actually a truce you know, following the, the LA, right around the time of the LA riots. And um, there was like, all these guys were going to, like Crips would be, you know, guys who, if you even lived in a Crips neighborhood, you couldn't set foot in the Bloods neighborhood, even if you had nothing to do with gangbanging. But during this truce, all these guys were seeing like cousins that they hadn't seen in years because yeah. they were on the wrong side of uh, the territory. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the Berlin Wall coming down, or it's like the the nineteen seventeen World War One Christmas truce, where they all took a day off of fighting and played soccer together. And it was like, this, oh, I didn't know about that. That's oh, really interesting. dude. You should, you should. There's, there's some like great, like mini, like fifteen twenty minute documentaries on it. Where, yeah, uh, I think it was nineteen seventeen, where they like on Christmas Eve, um, I think like on one side, all the Germans started singing like Silent Night or something. And uh, on the other side, the, like the French and the British started like, uh, you, like you can't read about this without getting goosebumps. They started like singing along, and then apparently the next day, like one guy went up with like put his rifle down and just kind of walked over like that, and everyone was like screaming at him, but he just came over with nothing, and like gave him like a piece of chocolate, and so someone else oh, came out uh, and they started they started playing soccer together. They were drinking and giving each other chocolate, and they were all. Apparently, I mean, I get goosebumps talking about it right now, but there was this whole day of just, you know, nothing but slaughter for years. And now they're all playing on Christmas Day. They're having a break. And they were all saying, like, and you can see, like, the journal writings from these guys. And they're like, we're just, you know, like, we're all brothers. Like, you're just from Germany. I'm just from France. Like, but we're both 18 and scared shitless. And it was actually this beautiful moment where they started to realize, oh, it's these old curmudgeons that are sending us to die. The net when word got to the higher up they came down they changed out everyone from the front because they didn't want those people near each other anymore because they had become friends they put in all new people they said let the slaughter resume and if anyone ever does this again you execute them and it was just like jesus but like for a brief moment it was like they just went up over the trenches and just they just hit pause time out christmas and it's Dude, it's the most beautiful. That would be a badass book. I'm not trying to tell you what to write, but like, it's well. It sounds like someone's already written it. Or where are you getting your information? Oh, just re- just reading about it. it. It's 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 a historical thing. It's the World War One. I think it's the nineteen seventeen Christmas Day truce. 
It's um, yeah. I don't know if it, obviously you can't interview anyone; they'd all be there. But the point is, yeah, Bloods Crips, kind of the same thing, where they're all kind of coming to get. It's weird because they talk about like the L.A. riots, Rodney King. I've had on. I'm sure you've heard the term uh, rooftop Korean. I don't know if you yeah, have. Yeah, from the from the <laughs> yeah. I, I had a guy on here, Tony Moon, who was 18, and he was one of the rooftop Koreans. And uh, wow. it's kind of weird. He was like, was he holding? Was he like holding a gun? Yeah, no, his dad because his dad came. Was his dad was first generation from Korea, and they were all in the military. So when Tony was 18, Tony's in his like 40s or 50s now. He's like a the real estate agent in L.A. But yeah, his dad and his uncles like gave him like a Beretta and like a Remington, and he and his cousin had to go on patrol, and I think his cousin was actually oh, wow. killed, was a uh, like point blank shot in the head. I, I don't know some from rioter or something but it's weird listening to tony but then also listening from like the other side of like the riotings and was it tupac that actually like emptied a clip in the car yeah yeah he did it like deafened like made everyone in the car deaf yeah <laughs> that's, that's hilarious yeah i mean he wasn't shooting at anyone he yeah, was just, just kind of like trying feeling. to get into the spirit of the yeah. thing so kind of switch gears I mean, I'd always recognize the name kind of like, I mean, I'm sure anyone listening right now probably recognizes the name like Otto von Bismarck. Maybe you don't know who he was, but you maybe recognize the name or like, you know, Robert or, or I don't know, Theodore Roosevelt. It's, I never knew a lot about Suge Knight, but I recognize the name. You really kind of emphasized that guy was a gangster. That guy was straight up a gangster. Well, yeah, he's he's an interesting case, too. He grew up in a super bloods-heavy section of Compton, but he actually wasn't in the gang. He was um, he was like a star football player, mm-hmm. and so people gave him a pass, and he went to UNLV. He was like a captain, defensive captain there. And then he was actually um, recruited as a scab in the NFL during the strike and played uh, like one game for the Rams or something like that. But so his football career kind of petered out and he got into being a bodyguard and like a a bouncer for for clubs and stuff like that. And the way he got into with NWA is he started being the bodyguard for DOC, who's a ghostwriter and solo artist uh, for Ruthless Records, Easy E's label. And and then um, Shug had this amazing timing to come along right as Dr. Dre was really unhappy with his contract with Eazy-E and Ruthless Records, and they weren't paying him what he thought he deserved. And Suge was basically like, you know, I'll get you out of this contract. And so Dre has never been a guy to understand the business or pay any attention to it. So he was basically like, okay, go for it. And so Suge, what he did was he the, the, you mentioned the baseball bats he like brought some guys yeah. with baseball bats called easy into his office under the cover of night uh-huh. and basically had these guys like hold the bats and say give me dr Dre's contract right now and um you know they, they, you know it, it worked it didn't legally work it, yeah. you know those kind con- you can't like legally yeah. sign someone away under yeah. duress yeah but it was uh it did get the message across and so Eventually, um, Easy agreed to release Dre from his contract with the stipulation that uh, some of the proceeds from his next album would go to Easy. Mm-hmm. So both sides could kind of say they won, but ultimately, you know, I think uh, the biggest misconception about Suge is that 
he turned Tupac into this like unhinged gangster, yeah. you know, like guy, guy who ended up getting killed. Yeah. Um, and that was Suge's fault. But when I, you know, reporting original gangsters, I kind of came around to the other uh, belief, which was that Tupac actually influenced Suge into kind of turning towards the dark side. And what happened with Tupac was that he, you know, he was a much more conscious rapper in his, his first albums you know uh, but it, but then he went to prison on a sexual misconduct charge and right before that he was shot um when he was supposed to be meeting up with bad boy records biggie and uh puff daddy and so he became convinced that biggie knew something about his shooting that he either set him up or he knew he was going to be shot and didn't do anything about it because this all happened in new york and Tupac said, well, this is your backyard. You should know about this. And so while Tupac was in prison, he was just basically stewing. Mm. And his, his, he got more and more angry at Biggie, who used to be his, like, mentee, by the way, and good friend. And so when he came out, you know, while he was still in prison, Suge came to visit him. And Tupac said, you know, this these guys are the enemy. Um, I want you to get on board with this war of mine. And Suge said, yes, I'll do it. And so that same night, Suge like, went to the Source Awards in New York, which is famous for um, Suge like, calling out the East Coast. And mm-hmm. the, the East Coast-West Coast War began that night yeah. when Suge like, basically disparaged Puffy. And uh, you know, if you don't want a producer... You know, being all in the videos, all the songs, getting all the credit, yeah, yeah. And so, um, so then when Tupac got released, he went straight to L.A. He joined uh, Death Row, and that's when all the trouble really started, as far as the East Coast, West Coast. You know, people think of like the 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 East Coast being partly to blame and the West Coast being being partly to blame, but really it was Tupac. You know, it was Tupac who started it, who kept it going. All these other people wanted no part of it. Biggie wanted no part of it. Snoop Dogg wanted no part of it. You know, he was afraid. He was afraid that Tupac was gonna come after him because he refused to be part of his war. You know, Dre wanted no part of it, and so ultimately, um, you know, Tupac kind of sealed his own fate. Was it wasn't it? Did uh, was it also Snoop that talked at the awards that kind of set it off? Yeah, yeah. Snoop is like terrifying if you watch that video. <laughs> he's got like his blue, you know, um, bandana on, and he's like addressing the crowd, like threatening the crowd. Yeah, this yeah. is in New York. Yeah, the entire crowd, like thousands, like hundreds of people, just staring at him, and he's like, "Yeah, he's like, the fuck do you want? You ain't giving us credit." Yeah. Everybody's like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, I mean. I also didn't know how many times like Snoop went back and forth to prison before he kind of like made it. Yeah, he um, he was a real gangbanger too. He yeah. was a crip in Long Beach, and he um, he was buddies with Warren G. You know, Regulators, Nate Dog, and the three of them were like kind of half in the world of gangbanging and half in the world of music. And it wasn't until Snoop kept going back and back that um, the people around him were like, you got to stop throwing away your talent. And that's uh, when he took it seriously. Yeah. And wasn't it, was it Dre that someone was like, you go in and you, and like you start rapping for Dre and he'll be like, he'll be like, all right, say that again. And like, he'll hit a couple knobs, twist something, add some odd instrument, like a tambourine or a didgeridoo. <laughs> and then it's like, 
and then it comes back and you're like holy shit that's a hit and they're like he really is just yeah. a magician yeah he used to say he could make a hit out of like you know uh, a, a duck or something yeah. you know an animal yeah <laughs> yeah and you know it, it, with Easy E, the famous thing about the song "Boys in the Hood" is that Easy had never rapped before, and he just he couldn't rap at all. He knew nothing about rapping, but he had this amazing voice mm-hmm. and the story to tell. And so what Dre did is he would record one line at a time. So he's like cruising down the street in my, my six foot. Yeah, and then that was it. He's like, "Stop! All right, do that again." And he did have him do it like twenty times. He's like, "Finally, we have something usable." They go to the next line. But through the studio magic, it all sounds like one continuous rhyme. Again, another just like beautiful PSA about like taking baby steps and one day at a time. Like whether you're getting sober or losing weight or anything, it's just like one day. It's it's so it's so unexpectedly like wholesome. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's crap. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. you know, that's that's the stuff that doesn't make the headlines. Exactly. So, yeah. that, that that does that doesn't lead. What leads is like gangbangers with their pants down and their pistols. And what you don't see is like, was it Easy E that like spent all that money bringing presents to to kids that didn't have like yeah. like single parent kids on the Christmas or something. Yeah, nobody I talked to really had a bad thing to say about Easy. Yeah. He was really beloved in the community. Yeah, and it, yeah, and it was it. Yeah, um, I forgot what I was gonna say. Shit. Oh yeah. Who do you think? And I it said you got forty minutes. I got you for four more minutes, and I'll let you go. Who do you think killed Biggie and Tupac? Is there any conspiracy there, or is it really just a rivalry? Well, I, I subscribe to the Occam's Razor theory of yeah. things, which is just like the people you think are most likely to do it did it. I mean, Tupac, he was in Vegas. He was at the Mike Tyson fight. Right when they got out of the fight, they had this huge brawl with some Compton Crips. You know, Suge Knight and and his, his clique and Tupac were all sort of aligned with the bloods. They were wearing red. They got in this fight. Tupac with himself was like, you know, beating this guy up. Um, and he, oh, his name was Orlando Anderson. And they, you know, he went back. He got his other friends who were also Compton Crips. And um, they came and they found they found him when he was on his way driving to the club to, to do a performance. And they shot him. I mean, to me, it's just yeah. makes the most sense. And the same thing with Biggie's murder. He, um, following Tupac's death, there was basically, you know, Suge Knight wanted revenge. And um, there's a couple of different, um, different detectives who were on the case, but I subscribe to the theories of a guy named Greg Kading. And so there's, um, he, you know, found uh, someone who was involved with a, a signed contract that um, Shug offered to another member of the Bloods to, to kill Biggie. And, um, you know, there's this other theory, this complicated, like, LAPD sort of orchestrated it and yeah. covered it up. But, you know, conspiracy theories generally are so difficult for me because they're so hard to pull off. You know, you got to keep so, so many people quiet. And in this day and age, like, no one can stay quiet about anything. It'll be all over social media. Yeah, no one could ever pull off anything. Yeah, it's all, all, all the conspiracies are like, man, it... But, I don't know, the mind kind of gets... I had on, um, I had, I think, uh, Gerald Posner... Is an author who wrote about JFK, and he actually explained it pretty well. He's like, "Why do we uh-huh. subscribe to these conspiracies? Like, on the surface level, it's because it's sexy. 
but he was like there's actually like a sort of a deeper mental placation that goes on when it's and the example he uses is the Holocaust. We look at 6 million dead Jews, 12 million total terminated in the death camps. When you look at the worst evil imaginable, it, it, you can your brain sort of, the equation balances. You go, oh, it was Hitler, the worst. Okay, it makes sense. But when Lee Harvey Oswald, some loner kind of nut job, kills this beloved playboy president who's going for world peace to the moon and it's banging Marilyn Monroe, your mind almost you go what that loser it couldn't have been him it had to have been the cia right it'd be like if somebody killed tom brady you you couldn't justify it as some whack job you'd have it was a big nfl conspiracy right it's so i guess i kind of look at tupac and biggie like that it's kind of hard to look at these young successful talented charismatic living legends and you're like what it was just gangbanging like you want it to be something deeper, but I, I'm kind of with you. I think it's Occam's razor. Well, yeah, and it's just a kind of a fallout from this this East Coast West Coast uh, problem. And it, you know, people sometimes say like, was the East Coast West Coast real? You know, or was that just a media fabrication? Yeah, PR. And really, I think it was in a way a kind of media, you know, media thing that became real. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, and, and Tupac in particular, you know, he was in the movie um, uh, Juice. Uh, he played this character named Bishop. And, um, you know, Bishop was real hard in the streets and real, this kind of like evil mentality. And uh, Tupac wasn't like that at all. He was just playing a character. But over time, a lot of people think he began to inhabit that actual character. And Biggie, not long before he was killed, said he looked in Tupac's eyes and saw that character. He's actually crazy. Yeah. He's like, I looked into his eyes. I was like, he's like, this guy crazy. He's actually crazy. I don't know. I don't know. My favorite conspiracy, I got it's 440, so I'll let you go. But my favorite conspiracy is because that one of the guys brought light to like the fact what highway rick ross said that the cia was smuggling uh smuggling coke over the border to sell into this uh the inner cities because that was a way to provide a, a black budget funding off the books therefore reagan could use it for the the uh who is it the, Iran Contras. yeah 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 um and they kind of like hey like these guys are gangbangers they're just doing it on a different scale and they brought light to the whole yeah uh freeway rick ross or highway whatever his name was yeah freeway yeah and the cia didn't like that and that's who killed him and it's not really believable but it's it's kind of sexy that's who killed who they so they killed biggie and tupac to sort of put, oh. put out a, put a lid well on. yeah i mean uh, I, i'm on board with um, that <laughs> until that point but yeah, yeah i got that <laughs> In my book too, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah, he's he's a great guy. Freeway Rick Ross, I yeah, I enjoyed. It. I played tennis with him, but really? that's a whole other story. Yeah, you're such a badass, dude. You've interviewed all these guys. Yeah, he he was very cool. He used to be a star tennis player, and so um, we played each other, and uh, it was fun. How many people can say they played tennis with Freeway Rick Ross? That might be your trophy, man. Well, <laughs> Mr. Ben Westoff, thank you so much for coming on, man. Your book, Fentanyl, Inc. and Original Gangsters, they're both badass books. I thoroughly enjoyed them. For everybody listening, I have yet to recommend a bad book. They're both amazing. Original Gangsters is fun. There's a lot in it that we didn't talk about. It's a legitimately a cool book from someone that knew nothing about it, but it just looked neat. I would say it is neat, and that will be in the description, sticking to the top comment. 
What are you working on right now? Can you say? Yeah, my next book is about the murder of my uh, little brother in the Big Brother Big Sister program. So he was my mentee. He was 19. His name was Jarrell Cleveland, and he lived in Ferguson outside of St. Louis here. And he was murdered um, in 2016, and it was unsolved. So basically, my this book is about me finding out what happened and you know figuring out who killed him. And it's uh, it's a, a real kind of like true crime murder mystery combined with a memoir it's a, you know really kind of emotional book for me dude i did not know that i'm i'm so sorry i didn't i didn't know that that whew, it's not it's not all the same it's I, I lost my older brother to suicide in 2014 not at all the same completely different animals mm-hmm. but yeah man that's a i didn't know that about you i'm very sorry to hear that it's a yeah, yeah well well thank you i mean uh, i'm sorry about your brother it's um yeah it's, it's you know a lot of a lot of the book is just trying to understand grief and um yeah. how uh you know what what is closure and how can you get closure and stuff and i know you know you know that it's not it, that simple so. no it's it's like the terence mckenna quote he was like part of enlightenment is realizing that uh all the loose ends don't get tied up. There is no closure. You have to learn to sit with the messiness of it all. It's not. Mm, it's not an really HBO good. series. It's not a book where all the characters. He, he went to jail and they went. They got married. It's not the Lord of the Rings. A lot of right. it just, you know, someone dies and it's like years later. You just kind of go. I guess that happened. And you just. Well, I got to go to work tomorrow, and there's just. That might be the worst part of it all. Is there's no what happened why did that happen how can we fix it can we can we solve it like an equation and put it in a box and hit you know case closed and it's like no man it's some of it's just that's kind of the worst part is it's just like why why the fuck did that happen shit man that's uh that's dark that's i would well i'd love to read it when it comes out man and um yeah, well, it should yeah. be out next summer, so summer 22, 2022. So, and yeah, you can also um, keep up with my. I have a Substack, so it's just Ben West stuff. If you just Google my name, yeah. you'll find. So I'll put all yeah, I'll put all the links in the description. Do you have any? And I'm keeping you over. Do you have? Have you written anything else other than Fentanyl Inc. and uh, Original Gangster? I talked to so many authors, I forget who who's written. Yeah, no, no, I've got a book about dirty uh, called Dirty South about Southern hip hop, and um, I have a book about dive bars in New York from oh shit from way back. But uh, yeah, almost all of those dive bars are now closed. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, COVID, yeah, COVID, the real killer. Um, well, shit, man. I'd love your book, so I'll email. I would love to have you on and talk about one of those, man. You're a cool dude. You're a great author. You have range. You don't stick to one thing. It's, uh, you know, from uh, fentanyl to original gangsters is about as ridiculous as a gap between writing, but they're both equally interesting, sexy, terrifying, and informative. And um, I, appreciate, I appreciate your writing. And... Um, yeah, if you don't hear it enough, man, you're a great fucking author, and I, I really appreciate your well, work. thank you. That's very kind, kind of you to say, and uh, I appreciate you having me on, Tommy. So, Absolutely. Uh, I have a, I have 1,100 titles in Audible, and I can tell you, they're not all good. <laughs> they're not all good. Yours are very good. So take that to the bank. But I've now kept you six minutes longer than I said I would, so I apologize for that. Mr. Ben Westhoff, thank you so much. I'll shoot you an email about uh, the Dirty South and the dive bars. And, um, yeah, man, thank you so much for coming on.
All right. Well, thank you. Have a good one. All right, buddy. You too. God bless. Take care.